0: Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So what would you uh, like people to line up at the end of your life and thank you for? I think that's a question that all of us need to ask and answer in every season and transition of our lives. It's a, it's a worthwhile question. What, what would we like people to line up at the end of our lives and, and what would we like them to thank us for? Not even before we're in this casket or or cremated. And I know that we can sit in a moment like that, and that can bring up a lot of things. For some of you, you're grieving right now over loss of a loved one, or you went through something traumatic. I, I get it. It's jarring to have a casket come down on a Sunday morning. But it can also motivate us, because the reality is all of us are going to end up here at one day, right? All of us, all of us. And and what I want to ask is, is this question, because more more than ever, we need to know what that kind of life would look like. The kind of life when people would line up at the end of our lives and they would thank us for a couple things. That's, that's the kind of life. Whatever those descriptors, whatever those thoughts are, those comments, whatever you would want to be said of you, then I think you would agree with me that we need to devote ourselves to living that kind of life right now. So that when we end up here, people can say, man, my life just received an incredible amount of value and worth and dignity because I know, I knew so and so. I knew you. You know, I was uh, kind of thinking about uh, this and, and uh, I was thinking about that kind of life. Like, what would that look like? Well, that life for me is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you, you don't have the, the faith thing kind of figured out, we're so glad that you're here. And my prayer for you is that as you experience the next couple of weeks and months with us, that you'll begin to see the love of God and the amazing community of people who are trying to live their lives in such a way that would look like Jesus Christ. So today we're starting this series more than ever. And here's what I think all of us, I think all of us could could really land on, whether you're online, you're on site, whether you're in the, in the, in the, the trenches of, of lower Alabama, you're in, you know, I don't know, British Columbia, wherever you are, whoever you are, what color your skin is, like what gender. Listen, I think we would all agree that, that our lives, they go by pretty quickly, Uh, it it comes and it goes. And doesn't it seem like the older you are, the faster it goes? It's like when you were a kid, you were wishing like, I cannot wait till Christmas. And then as you start to get older, you're like, oh, Christmas, that just felt like yesterday. And now they have the stuff to purchase and I got to get it out of the attic again. And it just goes and it goes and goes and goes and goes, right? Scripture says that life, your life, my life, it's like, It's like a mist, it comes and it vanishes and poof, it's gone, it's just gone. In fact, the psalmist said this in in Psalm 90, listen to the verse, it says, for our days, I think you you would really find this to be true, our days they may come to 70 or 80 years. Might come to 70, 80 years if our strength endures. And listen to this next part. Yet the best of them, your best days are but trouble and sorrow. Man, thanks, Pastor, for bringing me to church today. That's so inspiring. You got the casket, now you're reading the psalmist. Wow. Talk about, like, this is uplifting. This is encouraging. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Now, Did you kind of hear, as the psalmist kind of wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's almost like a math equation is going on in his head. Uh, Bring that verse up again, the first part of Psalm 90, verse 10. Read the first three words with me. Our days may, our days may come to what? 70 or 80 years, right? I think we all could say life expectancy, 70, 80 years, and so... um, I need some audience participation. So uh, question, how many days are in a year? 365, right? So I was kind of thinking if the psalmist was thinking like, okay, so then how many days total do we have in life? So if you take 70 years times 365, it's uh, 25,550 days. 80 years, is 29,200 days. So I was doing this, I was writing my message in in my study and I thought to myself, I wonder how many days I have left. Did anybody, I see somebody pulling out their iPhone. I am 38 years old. So this is what I did. Assuming that I'm going to live to 80 years old, I did the math, I ran the numbers, I just turned 44 last week, uh, August 3rd, so I subtracted, did all that, I felt like I was doing like like trigonometry. I know it was just basic arithmetic, but I felt really smart in that moment. And I landed on 13,130 days left that I have on this earth. Some of you are thinking, man, I wonder how many days I have. Some of you are like, I don't want to know how many days I have. And some of you are like, man, that's a lot of days. But the question is not "It's not how many days you have left. The, the question is, what is the most important part of every day that you do have left? What's the most important part of every single day that you have left until you're in one of these? And I would contend that the most important part of every single day that you have left on planet earth is the part of the day that you spend time with God. It's the time where you get alone and you spend in his presence, reading his word and talking and communicating with him in prayer. That's the most important part of your day. And you know what's crazy about that is that this is exactly what Jesus modeled for you and me. You know, this is what he taught us. We, you might have heard, if you've been a believer, we sometimes refer to this time with God as a personal devotion time or a quiet time or a time that I get alone with God. We here at Pathways, we, we call it our chair time. We, we, it's one of three environments. This isn't like a church program. This isn't like something that we made up. This was practiced and modeled by Jesus Christ himself. He's our example He spent time with his father. Did you catch that? The sinless savior of the world needed to spend time with God himself. While he was on planet earth, fully human and fully God, he gave up the privileges of heaven and he walked across to earth and he said, you know what? I'm going to live this life so that I can save all of humanity. But his most important part of every single day for the 33 years that he walked the face of the planet was to make sure that he spent time with God himself. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 39 with me. Here are a couple of verses. It says this, Jesus went out as, say that next word, as, as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him where Jesus oftentimes prayed, his chair time, air quotes, was at the Mount of Olives. I've been to the Mount of Olives. I've seen those olive trees and I've looked over the city of Jerusalem. You could see it in the distance. And I stood on that dirt and I thought to myself, Jesus connected with the Father right here. Jesus would connect with the Father praying. As usual, it was his habit question, how do you form a habit? You know what you need? You need two things to form a habit. You need practice, and you need repetition. You need to practice, and you need to repeat that habit, that discipline, that practice. You have to get into the environment, you have to get in the environment of your chair, of spending time with God. Uh, Another verse out of Jesus's own life, very early in the morning, Mark chapter one, verse 35, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off. Where? Where did he go? To a solitary place. Why? What did he do? Where Where he prayed. He was connecting with the father. He was connecting with God. And when did he do this? He did this when the stress and the pressure of his own earthly life seemed to be so overwhelming. Listen, friends, when we spend time with God, it's when we begin to hear his voice. We get direction for our lives. We can handle the pressure and the stress of life because we are in the Father's presence. People oftentimes talk about how do I know what the will of God is? Listen, You know what the will of God for your life is, is when you read his word and when you spend time with him. Imagine a big circle, a big circle. And this is all of life. You have all of life going on every single day, 365. When you take time and you find that place, That's quiet, no distractions, no multitasking, no phone. And you get in to spend time with God. What is happening is that you are making your way to the center of God's will for you because that's where you hear him. That's where you begin to discern and, and hear his voice and read his word. That's where your faith is strengthened. That's where you gain insight. That's where you get wisdom. That's where, that's where you hear this, the scriptural commandments and the teachings. And that's where you receive grace. That's where you connect with God. That, that, that's what sustains you. That's what feeds you. Like hearing his voice, reading his word, talking to him. This is where we renew and we rejuvenate our soul. This is where we spend time in prayer and we say things to him that we can't say to anybody else. And what does he do? He begins to speak and to lead and to direct our lives. And the more pressure and the more stress that you experience in life, if you're anything like me, first time you wake wake up in the morning, don't you have those anxious thoughts about what's going to happen today, what I got to do, I got this going, I got to remember this. and And it just, listen, you need the peace of God to spend time with him in his presence. It doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to have valleys. You are. But I can promise you when you spend time with the Lord, you're going to begin to live with confidence. You're going to live an obedient life. And you're going to continue to be honest with him because he's going to do life with you. And he's placed his spirit inside of you, closer than your own skin, to comfort you and to convict you and to challenge you and to guide you through your days. Amen? So, notice what Jesus did when he was praying to the Father. Listen to when he prayed Luke chapter 5. Yet the news about him spread, about Jesus spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, often, He withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Imagine for a second, this is Jesus Christ. Imagine on your busiest day, Jesus's day was 10 times busier with the enormity of pressure to... Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus, can you come here? You said this, Jesus. What did you mean by this? The Sadducees and Pharisees are coming after you. You got a target on your back. You are walking around. You know your days are numbered. You know the task that you came to do because you're living with purpose. You know that there's a sense being the the savior of the world that the enormity of all sins are going to be upon you, and yet people are pressuring you. They're saying, "We need help. Can you? Would you?" Can you, if Jesus had an iPhone, can you imagine the amount of texts that he would get on a daily basis? Would you text him? I would. Hook me up. Help me. I'm, I'm tired. What can we do? Can you talk to me? I got somebody who's sick. What about this? I mean, can you just imagine the disciples? Let alone Jesus. And the more the pressure and more the stress grew, what did he do? He would withdraw And he would go to a lonely place and he would spend time with the Father. Listen, this is what I've learned in life. Your life can be either driven by pressure or by purpose. And if you don't know who you are and why you came to live with purpose, people will define your purpose for you. You'll be molded and conformed and influenced by people around you and the world's thought process and the world's ways, and you'll miss God's voice. It'll get so covered up, and, 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 and you won't hear that gentle whisper, like Elijah, Remember? We hear his voice when we spend enough time with him alone. It's where we learn to be faithful. It's where we grow in our heart. It's where all of a sudden we're transformed because we're spending time with God. So if you're new to this, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to begin to sit with God and spend some time with him. Uh, There's a Uversion app that you can download from your app store. You can talk to somebody at Connect afterwards. And there's a three-day reading plan. It's entitled, But Seek Ye First, The Kingdom of God. It's three days that you can begin to get into your chair. If you've never done this before, I wanna invite you to be a part of this. If you're a growing Christian, a growing believer, and you understand the, 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 the discipline, the environment of the chair, and yet you need some motivation, you need some tools and resources. Remember back in June, we did, that uh, series, the best chapter ever, I asked our communications team to reissue these. And so we put these on your seat so that you can take these into your chair and that you can use these things so that you can use these study methods and grow deeper into the word so that you can, listen, it's not about information. It's about transformation, it's about applying the word. It's not just knowing all the, the references and all the, 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 the theological thoughts and all the people of the Bible. It's not the, It's his story becoming your story. It's about his power flowing through your life so that you can live with purpose and walk in obedience and live in victory. That, that's what God wants for us. That's why he's created and designed you. And so uh, there are a couple benefits to spending time with God. I want to give you three of them this morning. So if you're taking notes, jot these down. The first benefit is simply this. You're going to know. You will know who you are. See, before you die, more than ever, people are going to come up and say, boy, that person was centered and grounded. They felt comfortable with who they were. You're going to know who you are. You're going to know who you are. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 18. He said these words. He said, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Jesus was not confused about who he was. He wasn't confused about who he was. He, he was, uh, in fact, uh, 18 times in the Gospels, he defines himself. The seven most important ones are in the Gospel of John. He was very clear about who he was. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm, I, 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 I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. Like, Jesus knew who he was. And you know what? When you spend time with God, you'll begin to understand who you are, your gifts, your, your, your strengths, your personality, how God has wired you and made you and designed you. More importantly, you're going to understand your identity, your core identity. This is the issue of identity, and this is important because until you understand who you are in Christ, your identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High, you're going to live with pressure and be driven by the opinions of other people. People who naturally are people pleasers, I am the chief of people pleasers. (laughs) You will chase after the approval of others. And can I give you a verse that shaped me? You know where I discovered this verse? I discovered this verse, not by pastor, I didn't discover this verse with a Bible study in a small group. I discovered this verse. I'll never forget this. I was a teenager, and I knew that I was a people pleaser. I was really insecure, and I was always trying to gain the approval of all the different groups in in high school. And I I would get so jealous of people who were just comfortable with being, you know what? This is who I am. I really don't care what you think of me. I was not like that. And I remember, I still have the Bible. I still remember marking the verse. I was uh, spending time with God, and... um. It was Galatians 1, 10, and 11. Paul says this. He says, how can I live a life that God approves of if I'm always seeking the approval of the opinions of other people? And it was like the Holy Spirit said, Adam, that verse is for you. How many of you have ever had a time when you've been spending time alone with the God with God, and God was like, that verse is for you? That happens in your chair. It took me some 25 years to break free of that approval thing. 25 years, that's a long time. Doesn't happen overnight. I had to be faithful, I had to learn, I had to grow, I had to walk through that. I needed people in my life, but I knew where it originated from. That one thing originated from my time in my chair, quiet time. Who are you? What's your identity? What's God saying to you? All right, here's the second benefit. Benefit number two, not only will you know who you are, but you're gonna live your best life. You know that cultural reference? I'm living my best life. You know when we think we're living our best life? When we're on the pontoon with our friends or our girl and we're out there and, we're, and the, the, man, the sun is perfect. It's a Wisconsin day in the middle of July and it's at, we, we think to ourselves, this is about as best as it's gonna get. Is that even a proper sentence? This is about as best as it's going to get. I felt like my mom right now is like, Adam, Adam. (laughs) I was an English teacher. Did I not teach you anything? Living my best life. You know, uh, back in 2018, if you Googled uh, living my best life, you know how many hits you would get? 6.1 billion hits, including blogs, articles, including uh, social media platforms and people. This was just a cultural phenomenon. It tells me two things. Everybody wants to live their best life. Everybody wants to live their best life. But here's the question that I was thinking about this week. If everybody wants to live their best life, how can you live your best life if you don't spend time with the creator of life? Mm. How how do you, the the only thing you can have some, some, some moments, some passing moments that try to fill your soul and then you're like, okay, it's all, yeah, but, but as soon as the circumstances or the situations of your life change, then all of a sudden in your mind, you think to yourself, well, that no longer my best life. Now it's just life. Now I'm just trying to survive or I'm trying to mask it or fake it so that other people think that I'm actually living my best life. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you trying to survive. I'm not talking about you just trying to make it. I'm not just trying to talk about you trying to order everything in your world so that you can have like string moments along of your best life. Your best life shouldn't just be when you go on vacation. That's only seven of the 365 or the 14, or if you're super blessed, 21 days of your 365 for your best life. Your best life can be every single day when you take the most important part of your day and you begin to spend it with God and say, God, I'm gonna do it your way. God, I need you. I need your support because when I face this life, I wanna live my best life with you. And you go into your day and it's like, oh God, yes. We're gonna... We're gonna do this. And you know what he wants to say to us, son, daughter? I wanna do it with you. Isn't that so reassuring? The Lord is my shepherd. We forget that. Like, I wanna, I wanna do this with you. When you spend time with, with God, you're, you're gonna begin to live your best life. This is how Jesus He answered one time and He said this: He said, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. Jesus had a real sense of his best life because his best life was filled with divine purpose, meaning, and value. He understood the direction in the course of his life. You can even be driven by the pressures of, of people in this life, or you can be driven by purpose, a sense of calling, a sense of, you know what? I know where I'm going. And when I don't know where I'm going, maybe you're here today. You don't know where you're going and you don't know what is up next. You know the one who is leading you and you are in relationship with him and he will guide you and you have confidence in this and you know he's going to provide for you. And when he does, you can say, oh God, thank you. That's when you start saying, oh Father, thank you. It goes from God to Abba father. It's the translation in the Greek for daddy. You have a intimacy with God now that begins to say, he really does. He really does care about me. He, he really is leading me. He really does love my family. He, he's providing. He. And then all of a sudden you get this joy and you see him working and it's like, oh yes, I'm living my best life. But but here's the thing. Living your best life leads you to the most important benefit, in my view, which is this. When you live your best life, you will begin to genuinely love people. Somebody should have said amen right there. You, you will genuinely... Listen... Here is an incompatible statement with Christianity, okay? Here is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Here is something that you you just need to know right now. So if you want to jot this down, I guarantee this is not from God. You cannot say, I love God, but I can't stand people. Have you ever heard that? I have. That's just not how God works, that's not who God is. In fact, uh, John, the Apostle John, the, the oldest, he was uh, the oldest apostle alive. Later on in his life, he wrote these words. Listen, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I think that's how he said it too. Liar. Forever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Did. Do you see the correlation that John is saying? Listen, if you see people every time in front of you and if you don't love them, if you don't have a growing heart toward people, then don't say that you have a love for God that's growing because a love for God means that you have a growing heart for people around you. That doesn't mean that you, do, you agree with every choice that they make. That doesn't mean you don't stand for truth. That doesn't mean that you don't. Listen, I get all of that. But what our world needs the most is the love from people who know Jesus to give it richly and lavishly and not withhold it because they, listen, we might be the only Jesus they ever see. They might never open a book. They might never open the Bible. They might, listen, they might have so much church hurt and wounds and things, and we are Jesus to them. Like it's his love. It's like this is more than ever. We need people. We need a church that has that kind of love toward all people. By this, Jesus said, John 13, 34, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You cannot say, I love God, but I can't stand people. It's incongruent. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And who was the best at loving people? Jesus, wasn't he? Jesus was the most inviting kind of person. I think if Jesus was alive today, I was thinking about this, I said this first service. If Jesus was alive today, he would be the one person that you would want to have in your contacts. Like, like if you didn't know he was like the son of God, if you just like, I just, I just wanna be with him. I just like him. He just, we would say it this way. I feel safe around him. That's, that's, our, that's our language today. I don't feel judged around him. I feel like I can actually be open and not, like he really listens to me. He's not preoccupied. He's not trying to work me. There's no angle. He is just, he, he's just so inviting. I mean, what was his nickname? Friend of? They just wanted to be around him. They just wanted to be with him. He was the most loving, inviting, non-judgmental kind of person who was an awesome friend that somebody would always love to reach out to. And not only was he inviting, but he was one of the most generous people. In fact, he was so generous. You remember the gospel story in Luke chapter 8 when, when Jairus, one of the officials, wasn't even a Jew, not even a big God kind of person, knew that there was something about Jesus. He felt so safe. He said, Listen, my daughter is dying, and Jesus says, Let's go heal her. Like, if you were that dad, you'd be like, Wow, wow. And so they're all making their way, and they're going to go heal this little girl they're going to and, and during that time, there was a woman who was unclean because she had an issue with, with bleeding, she was just bleeding, we don't know what that necessarily references, but she was bleeding in such a way d- during ceremonial and Jewish customs, she would have been unclean, so she couldn't be in a social gathering or setting like that, and yet she came out because she felt so loved and protected and safe with Jesus, and she just reached for his cloak and she Jesus stopped and he said, whoa, Time out! who, who touched me? Who touched me? I, I felt some power go out from me. There was something here. Rather than just moving on, rather than just say, I got somewhere to go. I got to be here. Da, da, da. He was generous. He built enough margin and enough space in his calendar and his day to acknowledge and say to that woman, woman, you are clean. You are healed. He stopped, and he paused, and he was generous with his time. How generous are you with your time? Can you be, can I ask you, can you be interrupted by somebody else's need, or is it all about your needs, all about your comfort, all about your, you, 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 you? Or can you, hey, someone needs me. I can make some room, I can juggle, I can, I can flex. He was so generous. And not only was he generous, this is probably my favorite attribute of Jesus. Jesus, this is the one that I wanna grow in for the rest of my life. Jesus was so forgiving. I don't know about you, but honest confession, I can be a grudge holder. <laughs> Have you ever heard a pastor say that, that they can hold grudges? If you haven't, welcome to Pathways. I'm that guy. I can hold grudges. And what Jesus has been showing me over the last nine years of my life, being a part of this body, is that you gotta let go. Sometimes people hurt you and it's not even about you. It's about what's going on in their world. And sometimes you just have to learn to take it and say, you know what, give it to God. I forgive, I forgive. They say, Adam, yeah, but how do you do that? You know how you do that? You look at Jesus. Jesus was so in touch with God, it blows my mind. It blows my mind, you know why? Because when he was hanging on the cross, do you know what he was praying? He was praying a prayer of forgiveness for people who put him on the cross. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. He says in Luke 23, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And what were they doing at that very moment? Dividing up his clothes and casting lots to see who would get all of his clothes. Do you know what I would have been praying as the Son of God? Do you know? You know what I would have been doing, Ryan? I would have been like, I'm gonna, I'm coming. I'm t- I would have been like, I'm taking, Father, it's go time. <laughs> <laughs> Everything would have healed up. I would have come down. I would have whistled. <laughs> boys, let's go. And it would have been like WWE Royal Rumble. (laughs) You're clapping right now. Don't clap. That's not what Jesus would do. (laughs) Right? I would have DDT'd him. I would have gone into Rome and we'd have just turned that town upside down. It would have been on. And Jesus gives us a new model for winning. To win is to actually sacrifice and to lose. To win is to say, you know what? God's got my back. I don't need to do it. Uh, do you know that little scripture? We hear it in cultural references in movies. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I, you know how many times I've actually misinterpreted that verse and said, vengeance is mine, Adam? No, it's not. I'm called to forgive. Why? Because he has forgiven me so much. I forgive because I remember how much he has forgiven me. And more than ever, we need people just like that, don't we? More than ever, we need a church like that. More than ever, we we need to be the kind of people who are so forgiving and kind that when we see human beings... They're worthy of being valued and known and loved and cared for by inviting them to experience the grace and the truth of our merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. More than ever, we need to be the kind of church, to be these kinds of people so that our world may know what the life of a Jesus follower is like. To know that we can succeed and thrive and do this life with a God who loves us and is for us and is for every single person in our world so they may know him. You know, this week was a hard week for Laura and I. In fact, some of you, as you were coming in today and first service, one of the things that I value as a pastor is being incredibly honest and balancing that honesty with with also vulnerability and with... um, Uh, an attitude of um, having a biblical and a God-centered direction for my life and as the shepherd of this flock to to lead us. And so people were asking me, well, you know, how was your week? And I was like, it was good, but it was a hard week. It was a hard week. And people kind of like, yeah, okay. I said, you'll hear more about it. This week was a hard week for Laura and I because Thursday we drove down to Dayton, Ohio, because one of our friends, um, two of his family members were murdered. Uh, Brett Anderson and I we served on the same church staff. He was our IT director. We knew Brett and Sarah for seven years. We were actually in a small group with them for a short season. We knew their kids i 'd been to their home like we did life together. We were in our early mid 20s and not this past Friday, but the Friday before, on August fifth, Sarah and their youngest daughter Kayla had come home from grocery shopping around 11:30 a.m. They were unloading groceries. The garage door was open, and a neighbor who suffered from schizophrenia had a psychotic break. And a 39-year-old gentleman walked over, and he shot Sarah in the back three times. He walked through. The house and saw their 15-year-old daughter Kayla and killed her. And earlier, I was. Um, it was a tough. Oh, it was a tough funeral. It was about It was about the worst thing I've ever seen at a funeral, and I've I've seen a lot of things at funerals. I've buried a baby before. I've done funerals for teenagers. I've I've been a lot. I've seen a lot, but it was about as worse. As I've ever seen, friends. To watch my friend grieve. You did the graveside, and my former pastor invited me, said, Adam, would you say a couple comments and commit Sarah and Kayla to the Lord? Thankfully, the family, they're believers. But it's so raw, it was so hard, it was so, we got to the cemetery and you know how they have the tent and then about four or five uh, uh, chairs, two rows, two or three rows. And there was Kayla here and I'd never seen this before but then there was the second casket staggered in height and there was Sarah. And Brett and his oldest daughter, Olivia, sitting right there with their extended families. And I thought, oh, dear God. Remember what I said last week? The worst question we can ask God is why? Sometimes we just have to say, God, I don't understand, it hurts so bad, but now what? Now what? And earlier in the service, I said to you that I have 13,130 days left, but the reality is, I might only have one left. You might only have one left. Kayla was 15 years old. She was going to be a sophomore in high school, JB soccer. Sarah. Oh. Sarah would have turned 42 years old today. August 14th, 1980. Next week, Brett and Sarah would have celebrated 23 years of marriage. Grew up at that church, high school sweethearts, two children together, did everything that they knew how to do to follow Jesus and tragedy. I share this with you because It was a hard week and when pastor gary had this creative element to kick off this series with the casket i thought man that's going to be heavy but i felt like we should do this because it serves as a reminder to you and me that all of us are going to be here and so we need to get really serious about the lives that we're going to lead until we get here our world needs it our world really needs it and when pastor gary when we as a team were talking about this There was no way that I would have known that in a couple weeks that tragedy was gonna hit Brett and Sarah. And then we were there and then I see this and all of it just kind of comes together. And as I'm driving home yesterday with Laura, it's like, we're crying, we're talking, we're thinking. I was thinking about you, I was praying for you. And this for me is more than a message. This for me is more than maybe a series. This for me becomes my heart becomes an anthem of saying, oh man, more than ever, more than ever, more than ever. And so maybe you're online today and you're watching and my question to you is, do you know Jesus Christ? Because more than ever, today is your day. You're in the room. In a moment I just wanna pray for us as a congregation, for us as a body. The truth is you could walk out of here today, you could hop on the 41 and you could have, God forbid, a tragic accident. An 18-wheeler could jackknife in front of you. You don't know, you don't know. You go to work tomorrow. God forbid it, we could send our kids off, something breaks, snaps out of school. It can happen, it has happened, it is happening. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just need to ask you in this moment, If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if if you don't, I beg you, I plead with you, would you surrender your life to him? Would you give him your life? All you need to do is to repent and confess of your sin. I'm sorry, I was wrong, Lord, forgive me. You don't need to earn it, work for it. You can't strive. All you can do is receive the free gift of salvation. Scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved. Wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. 6.23, though, says, praise God. Praise God. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you're here today... You're watching online today and you don't know Jesus Christ. as your personal Lord and Savior. You might know about him. You might, you understand maybe the broad story and some of the implications. And maybe you're even a church goer, but coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Having a relationship with God through Jesus, accepting his sacrifice on the cross. That's what makes you a Christian, changes your identity allows you to begin to live your best life and for you to genuinely love people. If that's you today and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you just slip up your hand right here, right now in this room? I want to acknowledge you in this moment. We're going to pray together. Yep, you can put your hand down. Who else? Anybody today? Yes, thank you. Anybody else today? You're watching online, just type it in. Text somebody, tell somebody. I believe that God is speaking to our online church family. You didn't stumble across this on accident on YouTube. Somebody didn't share a link with you. Somebody didn't invite you here today on accident. God knew you would be here today. He brought you here today so that you could receive his love and his mercy. Okay, can we pray this together in full voice as a church family? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me for sending Jesus to die for me. More than ever, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent, I was wrong, forgive me. Now come into my life. I accept you as my savior and my Lord. Now lead me to be more like you and I want to spend time with you as much as possible, each and every day of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you're a believer, I just want to, i first of all, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'll be praying that this week, that you will begin to, here's what I want you to do. I want all of us, I wanna invite you to spend some time in your chair. I want you to, to, to spend time with the Lord this week. Remember, it takes practice and repetition. Here's the second thing. Some of you are long time followers of Jesus, you need some fresh motivation. Like, yeah, I kinda know, I know that message, I get it. Here's your fresh motivation. Here's what I want you to do. Like today, tomorrow, I don't mean to be morbid, but I want you to write your obituary. I want you to write what you want people to say about you. And then I want that to be a source of motivation because the only way you're gonna get there is if you begin here. The best part of every single day is spending time with the Lord and being in his presence.